0: Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinogo. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now, for this week's teaching. Good morning, church. So, with our Bibles to John chapter twelve. If you're visiting this morning, my name is Mark. We're glad you're uh, here. I have the privilege of being one of the ministers here, and I just want you to be grateful this morning, like I am. And first of all, uh. Are you grateful for HVAC units at heat rooms? (laughs) Yes. No? All right, we're going to turn on the air conditioning. We'll get some gratitude in this place. We're going to talk about love today. I don't mean the ethereal Hallmark Channel love. The idealized pretty woman movie love. Talk about real love. And if you want to find out what something is real, talk to kids. And there was an interview done with children about what love is. And here's what a group anywhere from the ages of four to eight, here were their answers. Love is when a girl puts on perfume and a boy puts on cologne and they go out and smell each other. (laughs) Love is when you go out to eat and give somebody most of your french fries without making them give you any of theirs. Love is when my mommy makes coffee for my daddy and takes a sip before giving it to him just to make sure it's okay. Uh, Love is when your puppy licks your face even after you left him alone all day. And the most poignant was this one. Love is what's in the room with you at Christmas if you stop opening presents long enough to listen. Thank you. I thought the same thing. huh? Love. We're going to be talking about love today in a very practical way. And it's not a guilt-inducing moment. It's a conversation I'd like to have with this room today about love and how it affects as Christians. The hallmark of our lives are to be indicated by the way we love. And love is not something we produce. It's actually a reaction to what we've received. Look with me at John chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was being given given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took a pint of pure nard an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wage. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well, for on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. Now, you might read that and think, what does this have to do with love? Trust me, you'll see it if you pay attention to just a few things. This concept of love, it comes from this concept of our heart. You know, we have turned the heart into a valentine. We have turned it into the Hallmark Channel. we turn turned it into romantic comedies. We've turned it into this moment where two people don't know they love each other and they meet each other and it's meant to be and, and off we go. And I, I, I like that. I think romance is all right. But it's not really what makes love last or makes love work or actually produces love can't just be attraction, it has to be something deeper. The Bible talks about the heart and not that red-shaped thing that Hallmark takes advantage of. It's actually talking about how you decide and what you desire and how you deliberate. The heart is the essence of who we are in Scripture. And when something has our heart, then we're able to love and we're able to show love in a significant way. Proverbs 4.23 tells us, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. It is where our love is found and from where our love is given. And I want to just show you three things about this moment in Jesus' life. We are one week, in fact, if you gather with us this Thursday night for our first worship service on Thursdays, which will be the same message and same content as what we do on Sunday mornings, but if you join us on Thursday or you come next Sunday, we are going to be entering into the last most important week in the history of mankind, the last week of Jesus' worldly ministry here a week that altered everything for each and every one of us and gave us an opportunity to receive something that we never could have earned on our own or don't even deserve. And as we enter into this, you'll notice that the passage today said that we're six days away from the Passover. So they're entering into this moment, into the Passover week. And so between today and Thursday night or next Sunday morning, six days will pass in the life of Jesus that are not mentioned in Scripture. But this powerful moment was recorded before he entered into Jerusalem to give himself away as the Passover lamb. And I want to show you three things that happened in that room that talk about our heart and talk about love. First of all is simply this, love is demonstrated in relationship. It's demonstrated in relationship. It's, it's pretty powerful. Jessica, age eight, said, you really shouldn't say I love you unless you mean it. But if you mean it, you should say it a lot because people forget. It's true, isn't it? And it's not really the words that we remember, it's the actions that associate with the words. When someone tells us they love us, we have expectation that that will demonstrate itself in some fashion or form that's meaningful to all of us, a sacrifice from them and a blessing to us, and that's what love looks like. When you look at the room this particular day, there are people that are in that room and you're going to see love and you're going to see a lack of love, you'll see why. You see, they were meeting in this home, and there were several people there, and there are familiar faces and an unfamiliar face. But as we learn about this, you'll see that the the tension is mounting, and people are beginning to display. When the pressure's on, we display who we actually are, and you begin with Simon. Now, John doesn't record it's at Simon's house. John goes by that fact. But Matthew and Mark tell the same story. And Mark, in his account, tells us that the man is named Simon the leper. Now, we have to correct a few things because there's no way that if you have leprosy, a contagious disease that was outlawed by both spiritual and legal ramifications, that person with actual leprosy could not be around those who didn't have it because it's contagious and deadly. So if Simon is hosting in his own home, which means he's returned home, if Simon's hosting a party in his home for Jesus, is it safe to say he's no longer Simon the leper, he's now Simon the ex-leper? Are you with me? So we know he's been cured of this and I'm just gonna take this huge logical leap and assume that he was healed by Jesus since he was the only one who could. So Simon is bringing his healer into his home. Uh, What does it say in the Lion King? Can you feel the love tonight, church? Simon's got Jesus in his home not because he's repaying a debt, because he loves this guy and he's grateful. And he invited Jesus over to bless him. The next persons you see in the room are Lazarus. And we say that Simon's an ex-leper, well, Lazarus is an ex-dead guy. Can you feel the love, church? He's there because he's like, I'm here, I'm just glad to be anywhere, and I'm here, and there's food, as Elijah said, and praise God for food. Uh, Third, you have Martha. We've had several uh, moments or interactions with Martha as we've gone through this gospel series, and one of the very first ones we had was when she's in the kitchen complaining because her sister won't help her, well... Mary, her sister, is sitting at Jesus' feet learning from him and Martha comes in and, and Jesus says to him, Martha, Martha, you're worried about so many things, but you haven't chosen, chosen the most important thing. And Jesus is not saying to Martha that, that serving people is a bad thing, but she said, serving people and missing out on me is a bad thing. You can do both. You can serve me while not giving up the opportunity to be close to me. And then we have Martha running to Jesus when Lazarus dies and says, Jesus, if you'd have been here, she knew who he was. And now you have this moment. I love it. It's a redemption moment that at Simon's house, Martha can't stop being Martha, but she doesn't get penalized for it. Martha's at someone else's house serving Jesus and Jesus loves her. And church, I'm going to ask you again, can you feel the love tonight? Martha's there doing what she does because it's Jesus and he matters. And then you have Mary and, oh, Mary's awkward. Mary's all in or she's not in at all and she's all in in this moment and we'll talk about it in just a moment but Mary is paying attention and Mary has figured something out that the crowds have not figured out and the intimates have not figured out. There's something that Mary figured out because when Jesus talked, she listened. When Jesus acted, she paid attention. She put the the cues together and came up with and solved the mystery she's like that means that and that and she comes in and she does this incredible thing she she comes in to Jesus and she begins to anoint his feet she takes this stuff it's called pure nard basically there's this plant in northern India called the spike nard and they would take the spike that goes into the ground the root and they would break it and they would boil it and it would produce according to the scholars a spicy musty oil And what they would use this for, and I know this is kind of gross, but we need to understand the context. When a person died in those days, they did not bury the entire body. What they would do is they would take the body and they would cover it if they could afford to. They would cover it with uh, this embalming fluid. So we think that goes internally. These would actually be anointing oils and things that they would put on the body because the first five to eight days of a body decaying, if you've ever had a moment where you've gone into a place, and unfortunately I have, and I can't forget the smell. The smell of a decaying body is something so pungent and so dominating that it's all you can sense. So what they would do is they would cover the body with these oils and ointments so that as the body decayed over the first two weeks, having been wrapped in, in linen, they would put this ointment and these, all of these things on them, if you will, and they would wrap them up and the body would decay. And after nine months to 12 months, they would go in and they would take the bones out and bury the bones in the ground. But the tombs that we talk about Jesus being buried in were just temporary holding places for a period of time. And Mary walks into the room here, and she sits at Jesus' feet. You find her there so often in Scripture. She sits at Jesus' feet, and she breaks open this anointing oil, and she begins to put it on his feet, rubbing it into his feet and anointing them. Now, having grown up in the 70s as a kid, just being like a a middle school and junior high kid heading into high school, being in the 70s, you know, some of you will know exactly what I'm talking about. We had, you know, black lights. We had the black lamps in our room and we had posters made just for black lights. And if you don't know what that is, you've not tasted that level of cool. And anyway, we had these in our room and you'd go in there and you'd turn on this bluish black light and it would light up all of these colors and it was pretty awesome. And then somebody came up with a great idea that let's all burn incense in our room. The worst thing ever, worst thing, I'd rather have a cat than have incense burning in a home. And that smell would permeate everything. And my brother would have this nasty strawberry incense he burned across the hall from mine. And it didn't matter what I burned, his was in my room. And it was horrible. And Mary walks in and she lights the equivalent of incense. And the whole room, you can hardly breathe. This is pungent, this is aromatic. And she begins to wash his feet. I'll ask you one more time, I'll leave you alone. Can you feel the love? Because she is loving Jesus and annoying everybody else. And it's one of the reasons the story is recalled. You see, you really shouldn't say I love you unless you mean it. But if you mean it, you should say it a lot. Because people forget. Love is demonstrated in relationships. And secondly, love comes at an extravagant cost. See, I want to continue to show you that Mary's love for Jesus is not self-centered. Self-centered. But oh my goodness, is it overwhelming. She gives back to Jesus because she's been loved well by him. Mary does not do this to impress him. Mary actually does it because she can't help herself. It's extravagant. It's bold. It's outrageous. It gets talked about. See, the fact that Mary wiped Jesus' feet with her unbound hair is difficult for us to discuss. I waffled all week. I'm just going to say it. A woman did not let her hair down long in that culture because it was a sign of intimacy. She would save that moment to lower the beauty of her hair for her husband. It was an act of immodesty to have your hair down long in public because it would be perceived that you had intimacy with everyone and that was not something that culture is not outrageous as ours when it comes to this so if you have long hair today it's not doesn't apply in hair you're safe but when mary lowered her hair it was a sign of intimacy not sexual intimacy but real personal love and then blows the minds of everybody watching from inside and outside the room when not only does she anoint his feet with that pungent oil but then she wipes off the excess with her hair This is not only a statement of intimacy, it's a statement of humility. She has humbled herself. And this girl knows they're going to talk about this and they're not going to talk about her well. She knows that she's going to be labeled. She knows that there's going to be innuendo. And let me ask you the question, church, does she care? No. When I think of love, I think of some of the funniest things that indicate love for me. I know this is going to seem a little bit outrageous and gross. I'm not trying to do this to be gross. But it also is an indicator. You see, some of the things that indicate love for me are just ridiculous. They're they're almost borderline inappropriate, except the person doing them is doing them for a passion that they don't care what they think. Having two boys. Growing up. They would have things hanging off their face, hanging out of their noses, stuff in the corner of their mouth. And my wife would reach across... With her hand, wipe it off your face, wipe it on her jeans. She'd rather have it on her than them. That is ridiculous. And a definition of love. Squeeze their nose and do this and not think anything about it. And the whole time I'm like, sweet mercy, what just happened? Because my children would walk around that with that on their face until Jesus returned. Because she... Loved them, it was outrageous. When I think of the things that people have done to say they love me, it wasn't with with words. It was always an action that seemed somewhat strange, and the only definition, the only reason it could have happened was, wow, I think they actually love me. Are you with me, Church? So what we see here in this moment is what Mary's doing is not so that we would say, Well, here's the model of how to love Jesus. What we need to see today is the fact that Mary just flat out loved him. And her actions made no sense to anybody in the room but one person. And you're going to find out here in just a moment, Jesus got it. But when we act extravagantly, there will be always somebody who judges us. Enter Judas into the story. Judas is self-centered. Mary is not. She's Jesus-centered. Her love for him cannot be denied, and she's not embarrassed by it. She's willing to display it. Judas, however, has a problem. And when anybody has a problem with your extravagance, they will moralize it. And Judas comes out and he says, That was a lot of money to spend on this one night. That was wasted. That was 300 days' wages. So that's like $30,000 in today's culture. So she just took $30,000 of ointment and wasted it on one night and no one's here to see it. It wasn't a grand display. It wasn't for millions of people to see. No one's gonna know this moment and she did all of this. and she, What a waste. That could have been given to the poor. And then John, this is my favorite thing about John's Gospels. One of the things you know about John, he, always, he never refers to himself by name. He always says the disciple loved by Jesus. And the second thing is he can't mention Judas without pointing out Judas betrayed Jesus every single time. Every time John writes Judas's name, his hand is required to respond, you know, that guy. So he says here, Judas ruined Mary's love moment by making it this moral fallacy. And then John says, oh, and by the way, Judas was stealing from Jesus all the time. He gives us the motive for his objection. His objection wasn't that Mary loved too much. It was that by loving Jesus, Judas couldn't have what Mary gave away. In fact, John says that he was a, this is the Greek term, he was a klepto. Oh, we all know what that is, right? We moral Christians are going, what does that word mean? That means person who steals habitually. And what it, the word klepto used, the form of it that's used here, I'm told in the Greek, simply means that it was thought out, planned out in advance. Judas had been stealing From the money given for Jesus. See, people would give Jesus money. Since he had no home and he had no job, they would feed him and give him cash so he could travel from places. They supported his ministry by supporting and loving him. And Judas was the one that Jesus entrusted. And he knew this. Jesus entrusted Judas to handle the riches. And instead of handling the riches, Judas made himself open to every bit of it. And he spent it on himself. And John said, We found out about this. See, the moment here is also for us to understand. According to Scripture, these are the first words Jesus speak or Judas speaks in the New Testament, and they're revealing. He he has a problem. He has a bitter view of extravagant love. It's inappropriate. It could have been used for something else. It was wasted for three years. Judas has seen him perform miracles, seen him raise uh, people from the dead, heard him preach, saw him do amazing things for people with great love, and Judas couldn't see him. And last week we met a man named Bartimaeus who was blind. And Bartimaeus couldn't see with his eyes but he saw Jesus for who he was and he was healed. You see the difference? It's not not just what you think you see it's what you actually spend time looking at. Judas never looked at Jesus because Jesus was a means to an end. His heart was revealed when something done sacrificially for Jesus compromised what he wanted done for himself. His innate selfishness would not allow him to love Jesus. And Mary's unselfishness allowed her to. But not only do you have this contrast in the room, then you've got Jesus' response to it. Jesus lets her anoint his feet. Why? Because she knows that Jesus is going to Jerusalem to die. She knows he's heading, he's been through Jericho, he's now in Bethany, and he's heading toward Jerusalem, and Mary has been listening. Jesus has said, they're, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and they're going to deliver me up, and they're going to kill me. And the disciples are like, no, it'll never happen. And Mary's like, he said it would, it will. She has faith. And so she comes in and begins to anoint his feet because she knows she may not get a chance to do that when he gets there if what he said truly happens. And Jesus lets her do it. I also think it's a powerful point if you, if you reason with me. I believe one of the reasons that Jesus may have let Mary anoint him that night and prepare him for his funeral was because when she showed up the day Sunday morning on Passion Week, when she would show up on that Sunday morning to prepare his body then, he's not going to be there. Pretty good news, isn't it? Jesus is like, you better anoint me now because when you come to real time, I'm going to be peace out. And they're going to show up and his bedroll is going to be folded up on the bed And he's going to be like, yeah, I'm not going to decay. So he allows her to anoint him in advance. How does Mary know this? Because she sits at his feet. She was at his feet in her home. She was at his feet when Lazarus died. And she was at his feet in Jerusalem the week before he headed to the Passover. You see, when you sit at Jesus' feet listening and obeying, it will produce a love in you that's undeniable and outrageous. In Mark chapter 16, in Mark's version of the story, Jesus says, she's done a beautiful thing to me. In other words, Judas, zip it. Stop. Stop ruining everything. Just let love be what it is. And then Jesus rebukes Judas. He says, for the poor you have with you always, but me you do not always have. Now, this is interesting because if, you're, if you want to take one verse out of context, go ahead and use this one, and that'll give you permission to not be kind to anybody in need. Well, you know, there's always going to be poor, can't fix it all. That's not what he's saying. In fact, he's actually quoting a scripture. In Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 11, it says, There will always be some among you who are poor, therefore freely share. Did Jesus say that? He quoted the verse. His point is that they're going to be poor and you need to to be good to them because the, the code of Deuteronomy of God's people is we are going to love everyone. The orphan, the outcast. We're going to love the alien. Catch that? We're not going to say mine versus yours. We're going to say ours. We're going to be a blessing to the world because we've been blessed. And Jesus was saying in this moment to Judas, Judas, yes, there will always be poor, but I'm not going to be with you Always, so take advantage of the chance to be close to me while you take care of the poor. Don't make it either or. You don't have to choose, I'm gonna love Jesus and serve him or I'm gonna take care of other people. No, Jesus said, you will, as you love God, you will love others. This is how this thing works. So he's pointing out a principle. There will always be opportunities for generosity in our lives. But we've gotta make sure we also seize the opportunities for personal intimacy with Jesus. And we can't focus on one and deny the other. They go hand in hand. See, love is demonstrated in real relationships. It's also, it comes at a very extravagant price. And lastly, love comes with a powerful witness. A powerful witness. When we love Jesus the way he's loved us, people will notice it will say something. If we love with Judas's heart, which simply says, "I'll do what I can, but I don't think it's really going to matter." And you know, I got to take care of me first. There's no testimony to that. There's no statement of that. Everyone does that. Jesus said, "You love your enemy because if you love those who are good to you, what good is that? What, who doesn't do that?" So we talk about our heart. It comes out of a relationship. It'll it'll cost us extravagantly. And thirdly, it will have a powerful witness. Matthew chapter 26, in his rendition of this story, verse 13, I tell you the truth, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her, isn't it funny that when you think of Mary, you think of the awkward moment where this woman lowered her hair and began to think about it, it's gross, see their feet, they didn't get pedicures, they walked in sandals and barefoot outside all the time, their feet were nasty, and she anointed his feet and then used her beautiful hair to dry them and clean them and honor him, to say that there was nothing she was about that wasn't about him. And Jesus said, they're gonna talk about that. It wasn't a pretty moment. It wasn't a poetic moment. It wouldn't make a good movie of the week, but it was real, and it was love. Back to John, says, meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. They were missing the point. They were coming to see the one who was raised from the dead instead of seeing the one who raised him. And we can come to Jesus regularly wanting what he did for everybody else and not want him. And when we sit at his feet and we listen to who he is and we understand what he's done and we understand what he's offering us, it will cause our hearts to love him. If we don't take the time to see him for who he is, we will only love what he does for us. One is sustaining and the other is not. The love love of our heart, the wellspring of life is demonstrated in relationships. It will cost us very much just like it cost him and it will have a witness, a powerful witness. If I could boil this all down, if you simply said to me, you know, the furnace broke and it's freezing in here and we don't wanna listen, tell us what you're gonna say. I would tell you this, it is impossible to be neutral concerning Jesus. You either love him Or you love being loved by him. One will change your eternity and one is just as selfish as Judas. You see, some gathered were excited, but it wasn't love. Some wanted to investigate, but it wasn't love. It was the ones who sat at his feet and did what he asked. The ones who paid attention to what he was saying and implemented it. It was Mary realizing that Jesus said he was going to do this and so she acted like he was actually going to do that. And she anointed his feet, preparing him for his death. She was the only one of all the disciples who understood what he was talking about. Why? Because she sat at his feet. She paid attention to who he was. So she trusted him. See, Judas didn't give Jesus his heart, so he couldn't give Jesus his all. Mary gave Jesus her heart, and there was nothing he could have asked that she would not have done. I want to conclude like we do most every Sunday here. I want to talk to you about how you and I understand this text in our world. What are we to do that emulates what Mary did and what are we to stay away from that emulates what Judas and the other disciples and the crowd that just wanted to see another moment, what they miss? And I just like to use the head, the heart, and the hands. Starts with our minds. It's renewing our minds in Christ. So I want to ask you this. If Mary sat at his feet being discipled by him and listening to him and trusting him and obeying him, that I want, to ask you, I want to give you some things to do by asking you some questions. Are you reading scriptures to understand who God is and to see Jesus reveal him to you? I don't mean, and I'm not, I'm not disparaging, I just need to be honest with you. If, if you're going to let me coach you in this moment, let me say what I need to say. I'm not talking about a little devotional that gives you a paragraph from the news and a verse to think about during the day. There's nothing wrong with that, but you can't feed your soul on one Triscuit. You have to spend some time having a meal. Are you opening the word of God and reading the story of the gospel to understand who Jesus is? Are you sitting at his feet? Are you meditating on it and thinking on it? Are you reflecting on it? I I would prefer that you take one story in Jesus' life and spend five days ruminating on it than flushing through, read through the Bible in a year and not even remember or think about what you've read except you read. Are you writing down your thoughts and questions? So when you're with other believers, you can say, "Have you ever read in that th- this section? Are you giving your head and mind to who Jesus Christ is as king of this world?" Hearts. Are you having a conversation with them about, "Dude, I just read this whole story. I have no clue what you're doing. Jesus help me." Are you confessing your brokenness? Are you coming to Him instead of hiding from Him and feeling like, I can't turn to Him because I keep doing the same thing over and over? Are you falling on your knees before Him in mercy saying, I need you. It's called prayer. Have you been baptized for the forgiveness of your sins? Have you allowed what He did on the cross to be yours and not just an idea or a neat story? Do you have times of worship in your life, thoughtfulness, singing, remembering, praising? Every moment where you just stop and turn off the noise of the world and think about how Jesus loves you and how you desire to love him and tell him that, that's worship. Are you giving your heart to him today? Or are you simply just believing that what other people know to be true is true? And lastly, with your hands, are you extravagant? Are you willing to take the, make the sacrifices needed to appear ridiculous in the eyes of your friends? so that you can demonstrate to Jesus one of those things that the world will look at and go, wow, they must really love him to live and choose to do what they do with their hands and feet the way they do it. What we're asking for today is not impossible. It's just scriptural. Why are we still talking about Mary 2,000 years later? Because she didn't care what anybody thought, but what her heart told her Jesus was, she fell at her knees before him and did whatever it took to stay in love with that man and to be loved by him. And that's our challenge to you today. Around this room are tables with lamps lit. Ask some of our elders to go to these tables now. We have staff members at the others. And and I'm just saying today, if you've never given your heart to Jesus Christ, you've never been forgiven of your sins. It is as simple as your believing he will and requesting that he does. It's that simple. And we use water as a symbol of baptism to wash you clean and to have you come out of that water. And in that moment, you have surrendered publicly to Jesus by saying, I need you to fix my heart. I want to give it to you full and clean and beautiful. And for some of you today, you're struggling and struggling and struggling and you don't even know how to embrace a moment at his feet. Come to the table. Let us pray with you. Let us pray for you. We give you our word. For the next seven days, we will journey with you I have a list that grows every day of people that have said, would you pray for me? And if you ask me to, I will. But I want you to journey with me too. Don't let me pray for you. Pray together because God works in our unity and our faith. Don't do this alone. Come to the table. Say, would you pray with me? You may not tell us any details. We don't need to know the truth. God knows every bit of it. Just tell us how we can encourage you in your walk. But begin your walk by making Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior. If you need encouragement this morning, these tables are lit up for you to go to before or like during our music time and afterwards. We'll stay around, come to the table, come see me in the foyer. We're here for you. We're in this together. Jesus deserves our love. And the only way you know that is to sit at his feet, know who he is, and you'll find you love naturally. Let's stand together.